I'm J.P. Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. Oh, you're in princess mode. Do you have your little furry creatures around you helping you clean the house? They they took the day off. Uh. <laughs> I'm very angry. I'm angry! <laughs> we are talking about the 2007 film Enchanted, which is getting a sequel later this year. I'm so happy that we're finally doing a sequel to this movie. I have no idea what the sequel's going to be about, but... Um, I'm, I'm I'm interested. <laughs> yeah, I was I was discussing that with with somebody earlier today. Actually, it's like, are we getting just the update in the quote unquote real world? Or are we going back to Andalasia? Like the what, four leads are, are coming doing? back. The four leads are coming back. So we're getting Amy Adams, Patrick Dempsey, James Martin, and Adina Menzel. They're all coming back. Well, I mean, hopefully we will see what's been going on on both sides of the equation there then. Enchanted, the de- the original deconstruction of the Disney princess movie. Because a lot of people are, you know, when they say, you know, the deconstruction of the Disney movie, they'll go to Frozen. But that came out like five years after this movie did. Yeah, at least Disney deconstructing the Disney movie. I mean, we did have stuff like Shrek. Yeah. Which was DreamWorks deconstructing the Disney movie. A bunch of ex-Disney employees yeah. deconstructing the Disney movie. <laughs> a bunch of really sour grapes Disney employees deconstructing the Disney movie. But as far as Disney itself, and we've talked about this before, about how for the longest time you did not lampoon Disney within a Disney film. There the were, There was only so far you could go. The first time I remember hearing that was the reference to Small World and Lion King. Yeah, Lion King, I think, was the first time I really remember Disney mocking itself even slightly. And that was very, very gentle ribbing. Oh, Zazu, do lighten up. Sing something with a little bounce in it. It's a small world after all. No, no. Anything but that. But yeah, and then now Disney is pretty cool with just lampooning itself. I think there's a point where you realize you just own everything that you're like, no, nah, we're untouchable. Go ahead and mock us if you want. We're we're fine. This is very similar to another movie, and we've talked about this on the show. The original version of Tangled. Back when it was called Rapunzel Umbraided. For those of you, we have talked about this back in our Tangled episode, but as a refresher, the original pro- the original treatment of what would have become Tangled was an evil witch, did not like the fact that the story had a happy ever after, took out, the, took out Rapunzel and her prince and brought in a young girl and boy from the real world who hate each other, putting them into the story as Rapunzel and the prince so that the story does not have a happy ending. And... That would probably would have been in production around the same time as this. 
I'm glad that they ended up scrapping that and going the way they did because I think both Tangled and Enchanted are much better movies than that version would have been. Agreed. Going back to Frozen, you know, you know, Frozen became big and went everywhere that when people say the deconstruction of the Disney princess movie, they go to Frozen. But this one, again, did it first, but I think it did it better. I think that people are slightly wrong about Frozen in that I don't really see it as a deconstruction of the princess movie. I see it as the launching of what we've come to call on the show the new Disney model. You know, the moving away from the central villain, the focus more on family dynamics as opposed to strict good versus evil dynamics. Uh, we've we've talked about it as we've moved through a lot of the other modern films, Moana and Raya and some of in, the others. In Kanto and even in Turning Kanto. Red. Yeah, um, Turning Red does it uh, very well as as well, even though we haven't gone through that on the show yet. Enchanted is straight up deconstruction. The animation at the start of the movie is beautiful. Like, yeah. That's straight up classic Disney and the transition from Disney animation to the real world. You know, what do you get when you take a Disney princess and put them in the real world with the same mindset as a Disney princess? You know, the falling in love at first sight, true love's kiss. You know, all you have to do is confess your feelings to the one you love and you'll live happily ever after. Yeah. It is a a very fascinating idea because there had been such a backlash toward Disney in the kind of late 90s, early 2000s with this sort of what what are you teaching children? What what does the Disney princess teach our girls? Which is in the film, you know, in the way that the lead man, you know, is who is this single father raising a daughter and what he's trying to pass on to his daughter and, you know, how he's trying to raise her. And it does mirror the cultural conversation in the early 2000s. And then you have this animated fairy tale princess and really ask the question of, is that a good role model or could that be a good role model? Which I think is a very interesting conversation to have. And they were going to go all in on this. Giselle was going to be an official Disney princess. They were set to solidify this as part of the Disney canon, but then they couldn't reach a deal with Amy Adams on her likeness. Giselle has only shown up one time at any Disney park, and that was for the premiere of this movie. And that was it. 
there she has never been a meetable character at the park since then so yeah it is sad that this character has not been seen in the park since the movie came out but fairness to amy adams for not wanting to sign over her rights to disney i don't know i kind of like that though I, i mean you know one kind of props to amy adams for holding out but um I kind of like that Giselle ended up not being a Disney princess because of the way the story kind of goes. True. The the, the way that the film kind of ends the, the story, I mean, you know, we'll see where the sequel goes, but the way this film kind of ends her story, that's not where she ends up. So it would seem weird to have her in the parks in the giant poofy princess dress at the start of the film. Because, you know, spoiler alert, that's, you know, she's not the princess at the end of the movie. So I kind of like that Amy Adams kind of accidentally scuttled that because it's better story. (laughs) Before we get to the cast, let's, let's, we've talked, I think we talked about them both. The songs in this movie are written, you know, were put together by two legends, Alan Macon and Stephen Schwartz. Oh, yeah. I mean, we we have talked about them both. They were the team that previously did Pocahontas and Hunchback for Disney. So if you're going to get a, yeah, if you're going to get a movie that kind of parodies the Disney princess formula, you might as well get two people who know how to write a Disney princess song. Yeah, and and. Of course, you know, individually they're they're both legends, but you know, they they teamed up before this for of Disney, course, of course. Yes. St- of course Stephen Schwartz would go on to do Wicked, starring what person that's in this movie. Well, yeah, I mean, he had done it before. I mean, they've got the the Wicked was before this this film. They had yeah. uh they've they've even got the the posters for Wicked in Times Square uh when Giselle comes out of the the manhole cover that would have been a nice joke you have adina menzel walking by a wicked post hey maybe, maybe you can see wicked and eh, i've seen it <laughs> yeah but yeah the 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 songs in this uh and we'll you know probably get into it as we go through i mean they really nail each style and of course that's because some of these are basically parodies of their own songs they're bringing back stuff that he did like the the big production number songs yeah were the things that really started with like little mermaid and beauty and the beast that wasn't really in disney until he did it you know (laughs) so (laughs) when they're doing the big production number in central park i mean that's just an alan menken number written by alan menken mocking alan minkin so <laughs> and i didn't never notice it until i watched this rewatch there is a little bit of under the sea where you see giselle looking at the fish tank yeah there 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 are there are little little nods to other things i'm sure it was easier for them to parody other people's things when they're throwing in homages 
for you know whistle while you work with happy working song and yeah. and stuff like that and all but i mean the the calypso stuff and that's how you know it comes back to little bits of under the sea as well it's gotta be slightly weird when you're kind of like hey do that thing that you do but make fun of yourself but they they do it so well the thing that that i don't like is that there was apparently because you know we we talked that dina menzel was in the film you know uh there was apparently a whole title song called enchanted that was written for Adina Menzel and James Marsden to sing, and they cut it from the movie, leaving Adina Menzel no song in this movie. But she actually liked that she didn't have to sing in this movie. Well, yeah, yeah but I don't like that she, and I am the only one that matters in this. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, I'm like, this is the you got the best singer. In the in the main cast, and she doesn't even get a song. Are you kidding me? Maybe she'll have one in the sequel. <laughs> I hope so. Be better. Uh, anyway, so let's talk about this cast. <laughs> leading off our cast, uh, Amy Adams as our Giselle here, uh, who is just lovely as Giselle. Uh, yeah, I believe this was her first lead role at the time. Yeah, her they first lead role i think i had seen her before in catch me if you can the spielberg film but she was i not, had first not a lead role in that i had first seen her in a parody another parody film called psycho beach party <gasps> oh she was in psycho beach party wasn't she yes i she may was. have i may have seen her in that first then yeah i i don't know which which one i would have seen her in first but yeah um because i love that movie as well so yeah toss up but um it launched her career she became a leading lady been been working pretty pretty steadily uh, since then, um, she has quite the, the number of connections to Disney. Uh, Amelia Earhart in Nine at the Museum, uh, Mary in the uh, in the Muppets movie, yeah, and of course, gotta mention she's Lois Lane in the in the DC movies. <laughs> yeah, um, but she's you know also done her prestige pictures as well. Uh, she's endowed master uh she did wonderfully in julie and julia i really i personally really love the movie arrival because you know i love anybody who plays a linguist uh so many really interesting films the thing that really impressed me uh about her in this when i first saw it was how she absolutely nails that that really early kind of tiny little girl voice that is so peculiar to you know uh, yeah definitely to, snow white cinderella sleeping beauty all of those three is mixed up to one but it doesn't sound like a bizarre affectation she carries it throughout the movie and it's believable her 
leading man in the real world is Patrick Dempsey, who most people know as uh, the uh, Mick Dreamy from Grey's Anatomy, which is a thing I never watched. So it just kind of is in this movie for me. I think this is probably the thing I know him from. Is this. Uh, yeah, because they wanted a major, a, a known name to be in this movie, and they originally wanted that for Giselle, but they were so blown away by Amy Adams, they said, well, let's catch the, the, the male lead as a known actor, and they get Patrick Dempsey. Yep. The one that was the known actor for me, I guess, uh, in the leading man category was James Marston because I knew him from the X-Men films. Yeah, he's Cyclops in the X-Men films. He was, uh, I believe he was Jimmy Olsen in Superman Returns. Yeah, and in this he plays Prince Edward, who is the original intended leading man for uh, Giselle over in uh, Andalusia. The phrase did not exist when this movie came out. But now I would definitely categorize him as a himbo. It absolutely did exist when this film came out, and yeah, he play he plays he plays the the well-meaning himbo very very well in this one. Um, and I gotta mention it since it's me. He's in the Sonic the Hedgehog movies, and he does be pretty good in those. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen those yet. I I need to get around to that. He absolutely, you know, when when I saw this, I was I was not sure how I was going to enjoy his performance, but I really, really loved his performance in this, and I can't wait to see where they go with it in the sequel. Because um, you go back and forth between loving and hating him so, so much during the course of this film. Yeah, because uh, you think, because he's so self-absorbed through most of this movie it's like you know why wouldn't she want me i'm the greatest you must be when i'm gone so yeah. you think he's going to be that gaston type but he doesn't become that gaston type yeah so the it, it, really cool character arc for him we'll, we'll get into that yeah as our kind of uh weird little minion character nathaniel we've got timothy spall who is just one of those actors that shows up in things and you're like oh him yeah we're gonna have a good time a lot of people might know him in the harry potter films because he shows up as peter pettigrew way more interesting career than that i loved him in the sweeney todd film Oh, yeah, yeah. The winner is told. Yeah, so good in that. Um, but shows up in, like, the King's Speech uh, as well. But just uh, one of those British that, actors is just in everything. Yeah, he's that, he's a that guy actor, yeah. Yeah, which you know my love of that guy actors. Ugh, just so good. Really nails that kind of traditional disney minion villain in this and keeps you know all of his random costumes and stuff that he keeps showing and, up in and acts he's the one from the fairy tale world that seems to adapt to the real world the fastest yeah that is that is a good point it it's a it's a really really cool uh cool thing 
but of course, we have to talk about who he's minioning for, which is uh, Queen Nerissa, the stepmother of Edward, played by Susan Sarandon. Legend. Legend, yeah. Absolute legend. Where do you even start with her? I'm going to start with The Hunger because it has David Bowie in it. Rocky Horror. <laughs> 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 um, Unlike Rocky course, Horror, she doesn't sing in this movie. <laughs> yeah, another another one where you could have you could have given her a song. Uh, Imagine Susan Sarandon singing a villain song. Yeah, that would that would have been that would have been good. But uh, you know, she said that she knows that her tombstone is just going to have the epitaph "Damn it, Janet," and she's okay with that, which I think good for her. But yeah, I, this is definitely all the Disney villains rolled into one. Definitely more Evil Queen from Snow White and Maleficent. It's a balance between, you know, the, the Evil Queen from Snow White and Maleficent kind of in equal parts, I think. And she absolutely nails that. And just a perfect casting choice. She absolutely nails it. Scene chewing and loving every second of it. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, who wouldn't? Especially when she gets to the real world, and that costume is everything. I want, I want that costume. That that's a beautiful cosplay. But yeah, so and uh, like like we said, we've we've mentioned her several times, but uh, playing the fian- original fiance uh, for uh, Robert uh, Giselle's love interest, uh, Adina Menzel. Adina Menzel again, legend. Everybody in the Disney world knows her uh, for Frozen, of course. I've known her since she showed up on the Tony Awards with the cast of Rent. Um, And she was in the film of Rent, yeah. Well, yeah, and then, of course, she was in the film of Rent. um, And uh, as I said before, she was the original Alphaba in the stage production of Wicked. Yeah, Um, just Broadway legend. Nancy Tremaine, with that last name, you would think that she would feel that evil stepmother vibe. And, you know, when we first are introduced to her prior to seeing her, we kind of get that, oh, you're going to marry Nancy? And are you sure you want to marry Nancy? Implying that we're going to get that wicked stepmother trope. Again, we don't. And I love that they kind of, you know, don't go in that direction. Because we kind of already have one wicked stepmother in this movie, and we don't need two. Well, I I do like that they even have Giselle point that out. Like, oh, it's it's not true that stereotype. I know many lovely stepmothers, you know. <laughs> it's like, um, because honestly, Disney's kind of been a l- little bit a little bit uh, at fault for kind of. Uh, perpetuating the the wicked stepmother uh, trope over the years. Yeah. Um, Might have made things a little bit harder for women marrying into a family. I do think it's interesting because they do set her up as kind of that, like, ugh, this chick. And then you you find out that, no, no, not really. So, yeah, and since this being, this is a parody of, of Disney... We have a lot of Disney legends in this movie making cameos. We have Julie Andrews, Mary Poppins herself as the narrator. 
we have Jody Benson, Ariel, the Little Mermaid herself, as uh, as the secretary Sam. We have Paige O'Hara, Belle, as the soap opera actor that uh, that Nathaniel and the and and the prince watch. Judy Coombe, who is the voice of Pocahontas, plays the women with a bunch of kids that sees the prince and says, "You're too late." <laughs> but let's let's get into the, the plot. The entire opening part here is just a full homage to Disney because you get obviously you get the Disney castle through the Disney oak. Making the Disney logo part of the movie is one of those things that I love where they have that seamless transition. Because we see this we see Sleeping Beauty's castle, like we always see in these Disney movies. And then they get zoom in and then we see the classic storybook of so many Disney movies past. Not really a thing they use anymore, and I kind of wish they'd bring back, because I, I always loved that opening. Yeah. If they ever do another fairy tale movie, they should bring that back. Yeah. The animation is amazing, and it's sad that Disney does not do more 2D animation in their feature films, and I really wish that they would. One thing I didn't notice until, again, this rewatch, there's sort of a Wizard of Oz thing happening here. Because when we get to the cartoon world and we get to the real world, the aspect ratio changes. Yeah, I do love it when a film plays with the aspect ratio to tell us where we are. It's so subtle, and I'm not sure that most people ever really clock it, like, as a thing. Like, oh, I definitely noticed when the aspect ratio changed. But something in your brain does. Even if you're not aware of it, something in your brain does recognize that difference. So I, I like it. I love little things like that. I love playing with the, the logos. I love aspect ratio changes. I just, oh, I just love it. The thing that I love is that you're starting out with Once Upon a Dream, basically. Mm-hmm. You're doing this homage to Once Upon a Dream. Giselle has all her little animal friends. She's building her weird little effigy of the prince. And she's talking about needing lips because the lips are the only things that matter. Because all you can do is kiss. Because that's the most sexuality you ever get in an old school Disney film. Which I adore. And also, the the statue also is uh, reminiscent of Little Mermaid. Well, she had her little statue of Eric. Yeah, that's bringing that in, which I, I like. And her explaining her very simplistic version of romance and love and marriage. You, you see him, you kiss him, marriage, yada, yada, yada. Happily ever after the end. Yeah. We go through the entire trope, every single trope of a Disney movie in 10 minutes. Which is such a beautiful point on how shallow, plot-wise, those early Disney films were. Which we have talked about in going through those classic Disney films. It comes up every single time. Like, how little plot there is so we get to the queen and she is they address it that she is the stepmother to the to the to the prince 
and that if the prince were to get married, then he would become king and she would not, she would lose her, her throne. She would lose power. Not sure how it works. I assume because she was the second wife that she doesn't, uh, it's never really explained. Yeah, the politics of these fairy tale kingdoms always baffles me. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is not how succession has ever worked in any real life kingdom I've ever been aware of. But we need to get to the plot. That's kind of. Yeah. Shut up. The plot has to happen. Um, we never find out what happened to the king, and we assume that another there was another queen at some point that may have passed away, and which gets to the stepmother thing. But again, we I'm are sure never... it's all been death by troll. It's <laughs> there are a lot of trolls, and that the kingdom be... just has a massive troll problem. And that's the the prince's hobby is hunting trolls who like to eat people. Because as soon as he finds out, oh hey, there's a singing princess over there, I'm going to eat her. Is Giselle a a princess? I, I don't think she is. She just seems to be a a girl who sits in a house and sings about men and kissing them. Well, she even says in the movie she's not a princess yet because she, she hasn't married the prince yet. Yeah. So, yeah. But the definition of Disney princess has changed so much that, eh, <laughs> yeah, sure. You're you're a you're a pretty girl with vague dreams and a nice voice. You're and a an animal sidekick <laughs> and an animal sidekick and a tragic backstory. Apparently, she never went shopping with her mother. There you go. That's the tragedy of her young and beautiful life. I mean, we also get the references to Snow White, not only with the old hag, but with the poison apple. Yeah. So yeah, there's so many references to and the others. well. And the well. And the well, yeah. The wishing well, yeah. Yes, they're lampooning it, but you can also tell there's, you know, genuine love for the originals in this one. Yeah. And, and of course, being made by Disney, they also know all of these very well. I mean, I I love that they talk about the fact in the song that they're finishing each other's song you know the the you were made to finish my duet kind of lines in there and 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 that would come back with with frozen we always finishing each other's sandwiches yeah but of course you know narissa does the the whole you know old hag poison apple pushes her into the well and then we get that beautiful transformation scene which may be my favorite bit visually. Yeah, because we go from the cartoony sparkles to special effects straight out of a Marvel movie almost. Yeah, that. and and we, we always talk about how these things have held up, and th- that transformation scene has held up beautifully. It's as... better than the one in uh, Cool World. <laughs> I haven't seen that in so long i couldn't tell you but the as she gets hit with the little sparkles and she goes ow and you know it starts to change to real flesh underneath the animation and the way they they blended that it still holds up that that sequence and then 
her being deposited on the asphalt in Times Square, covered in glitter. It's, I mean, that is such a beautiful, beautiful sequence. Uh, I, I actually would hate to live in that apartment with that glitter-filled dress because they'll be getting glitter everywhere for the next 10 years. Yeah, that whoever owns that apartment after them is going to be finding glitter to the end of their days. <laughs> um, you know, her finding the billboard and trying to, is anybody home? And, uh, but... We also get the introduction of uh, Robert and his daughter Morgan and the fact that, you know, we've got the Disney trip of the dead mom. Uh, I don't think she's dead because she said that she oh, just left. No, no, I'm I'm pretty sure that's the that's the implication is that she's dead. It's yeah. very much a sensitive subject for Robert. He yeah. even says that, you know, we don't talk about it because I don't like to talk about it. He's trying to raise her to be tough. You know, we see her in some sort of martial arts gi, obviously having just come from practice. He's <laughs> handing her a book about strong women that's got, like Rosa Parks and Madame Curie and you know uh yeah and I liked his reasoning is that he wants to give his daughter strong role models to look up to and not just Disney princesses but we also find out later it's a bit tragic and it comes during the discussion of where is her mom which is why I'm I'm pretty sure mom is toast um yeah he because wants to, he he wants her to be able to survive in a real world that is not kind and true love isn't always forever you know and she, i mean he's a divorce lawyer too which is the other thing and that's another nice little plot point in the movie is you have the divorced couple that are fighting over every little thing i like how their big divorce was over a baseball card yeah, uh, I actually knew a couple once who told me that that they had a serious discussion. That they hit marital problems at one point, and they had a serious discussion about if they were going to get divorced. And that they had figured out everything, including uh, who got custody of their child and you know who got the pets who got the house who got you know everything except their dvd collection <laughs> they could not figure out dividing their dvd collection and eventually they decided to stay together they are still together to this day <laughs> the power of physical media <laughs> the power of physical media if if streaming services had been uh, more prevalent at that point, it may have ended the marriage. Um, yeah, the, it is a an interesting thing of the woman who, yes, has a shallow idea of love and ro romance, perhaps, but she believes in it with all of her heart. And then we have the guy who may have at one point believed in all of that, but had it taken from him and now spends every day seeing the worst side of 
when that goes wrong. You know, they make a, a, a point in the movie that he and Nancy had been dating for several years. They know everything about each other. They know every what they what each other likes and what each other don't like. As uh, as he says, their strength and weaknesses. You know, he's made it a point of him that he wants to make sure that if he gets married again, it's going to be with the right person for the right reasons and not uh, on a whim. As a uh, he kind of mentions his clients got married on a whim and now they're they're getting a very messy divorce. But so also he, he wants to be very kind of I don't want I don't want to say logical, but he wants to be prepared. Cuz he knows that it's there is a chance that this second marriage may not last either for whatever reason. Yeah. And the and only he, thing I don't like is the fact that he never told his daughter about this until like the last minute. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's the other thing is I think that when there is a child in the mix, you do need to to prepare the the child for that being a possibility. You need to prepare the child first before you even think about marrying the other person. Yeah. I mean, regardless of whose child it is, if you know, if you're Marrying a woman who has a child, you need to have that discussion with the child. Hey, I really like your mom. I wanna, I wanna marry her. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. You know, regardless of age, let them. You know. Well, I mean, I I think adult children can <laughs> can put it deal with it better. But but yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, it's, if you're if you're dealing with a a, a kid that age. Especially if you're going to be, you know, sharing living space and all that kind of stuff. I mean, her first question is, am I going to have to give up my room? Because she doesn't understand how adults cohabitate, you know? She's, she's still single digit, so she doesn't really know how all of, this, all of this works. Yeah, she understands so little about marriage and the mechanics of marriage that that's reverse thing am i gonna have to give up my room um so yeah i mean there there needed to be more preparation than i'm go i'm going to ask her to marry me you know you you need to do some preparation what would you think if i were to to ask her to marry me you know how would you feel you know maybe how would you feel if nancy was here all the time you know how would you feel if she came in and lived with us or if she you know mm. stayed over more or something mm -hmm. you know and nancy even talks about that she's never spent the night over there because you know i have a daughter and boundaries and you know all that kind of stuff which is a choice you can make but if you go from that into marriage you know there there needs to be some preparation of why is this woman suddenly staying in daddy's room all the time, I guess? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, when when his daughter is just so happy to see this princess, you know, mm -hmm. it is an interesting thing of now we have to rescue the damsel in distress. And he just thinks that she's crazy because he's, he's talking about fairy tale stuff and and Prince Charming and or or drunk or on drugs or yeah, I mean yeah. something. I love her reaction when she 
when she's going through the whole thing of, you know, people have been yelling at me and somebody stole my tiara and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And his response is, well, welcome to New York. And she takes it as a sincere welcome. She doesn't know sarcasm, you know? Yeah, which I just, I, I love that moment. You know, it's it's so bizarrely pure. And they have this discussion about anger, which she has only heard of. She has never been angry in her life. Yeah. And I, and I like that's that's her character arc is to become she's becoming a fuller character once she realizes it, once she can feel other emotions, you know, she straight up goes, I'm angry. And then she's happy about it because she finally understands what anger is and she feels an emotion that she's never felt before. It's the thing that starts to change her as a person. As you see, um, Prince Edward, he starts singing to her and she just doesn't sing back. And I like her response to that when he's like, you're not singing. And she goes, I know, I was thinking. And he has that Gaston moment. Thinking? (laughs) Why in the world would you be thinking? And yeah, that's where you think he's going to be kind of like the a-hole. Because he's going to be that Gaston type. But then at the end... It's not much of a growth, but he does grow as a character a little bit. And it happens to all of them. Except for, I guess, Nerissa. You know, who doesn't really get to experience that character. I growth. mean, it, it, Prince Edward goes through his growth bit. You know, by the time we get to the climax, he, he's actually listening to other people rather than being selfish. Yeah. Nathaniel actually grows a spine. Yeah. Pip, uh, even. Because they're in the real world now, Pip doesn't talk because chipmunks don't talk in the real world. Yeah, he he gets back and writes his Silence Isn't Golden book. And Nathaniel writes his book about, you know, being in a toxic relationship. Yeah. So, I mean, all of the characters we see from Andalasia that come over, with with the exception of Nerissa, get this ability to grow whether or not they choose to go back to Andalasia, they're allowed to experience more depth uh, and use that, and they all become better for it on some level. The interesting Um, thing about Giselle's growth, though, mm is that it's not that Giselle starts out as a weak character and learns to become strong. Giselle is never proven wrong. Giselle is just proven slightly ignorant. I would say naive would be a more kinder word. Because, again, she's never been put in these situations. It's the typical Disney princess tropes of... I will meet my true love. I have met my true love. We will get married happily ever after the end. But now she's put into this real world situation. Especially when she is confronted by the divorcing couple. Where she finds out for the first time in her life that true love may not conquer all. And not everybody gets the happily ever after. But the thing is, is she's proven right because she does save their marriage. And it happens in a lot of relationships where the couple sometimes forgets why they're together in the first place. And I think Giselle just reminded them. 
why are you two together? And they fell back into love. They were they remembered why they were together and they decided to stay together. The thing is, is that Giselle gets the exact love story that she wanted, just in a different way. She gets the bizarre meet cute where the guy saves her. She gets the interesting little song twice because there's the point later at the ball where he starts singing to her but she has the big production number where she sings to him you know at the at the beginning i mean she has the point how does someone know you care about them unless you tell them that you care about them yeah you know there's initially short time between meeting and falling in love because they only know each other you know a couple of days the thing is is that she also learns that it has to be slightly broader than just the first guy you see. I mean, in her case, it's like the second guy she sees. You know, but she also learns that it's work and that there's more complex emotions and that sometimes the person will disappoint you or make you angry or not do the thing you want or you know i mean that's what robert's trying to tell her that you know love isn't perfect you got to work at it and she decides to give that a shot by going on a date with edward you know we're not going to go back yet let's let's spend some time together let's get to know each other let's see if this is worth going forward with even when Giselle starts having the more complex emotions, I like that they never have her turn cruel or... Bitter? Yeah, or bitter. That they never have her give up. Even at her lowest point, the thing that Nerissa in disguise offers her is just to erase the sad memories yeah she sees robert with with nancy dancing and she realizes that those two are going to get married and she can't be with them all right i don't want to remember this man anymore i don't remember i don't want to remember this place i want to just go back to the way i was and i'll be happy again and the thing is is it seems to be a rather unselfish move on her part because she sees Robert kiss Nancy and I think that she believes that he's doing that because he loves Nancy and he wants to marry Nancy and that's where his heart is and for her to step into that would be wrong she thinks that that's the best thing. You know, it would have been better for this couple if I had never come. Uh, he doesn't feel the same way about me that I feel about him. So I will step away from this, go back to my home, and be with a man who loves me. Uh, I do want to backtrack a bit before we get to all of that. Is that, and I mentioned it right earlier is the how quickly Nathaniel adjusts to the real world. And it probably adds to why he decided to stay. 
because he, you know, when we first see Giselle, she doesn't know the concept of money. She doesn't know what to do with it. It's gold coins. It's always gold coins. In fairy tales, <laughs> it's always gold coins. Or perhaps gems. But probably gold coins. But Nathaniel, you know, he's already doing businesses. Hey, it's a free Apple Day, and you can do this. And the 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 how quickly he learns accents. Yeah, like how does he know to use an Italian accent in the Bella Note? Which, by the way, perfect. Again, another I, Disney reference. Yeah, I laughed so hard in the theater when I saw that come up. He learns cell phones very quickly. He learns television very quickly. Whereas Edward is still calling it the magic mirror. So it's like, see, it's the, the thing that makes a good minion, though, is that they're adaptable. So I think that's why. And it is a really interesting thing. I love the various ways he tries to get her to do the, the poison apple. I, with the, the caramel apple. In the I park at first. I didn't notice it until this rewatch, but the caramel is in the shape of the skull from Snow White. Yep. And the fact that when she ends up getting it knocked out of her hand and it goes and it hits the helmet of the one guy and immediately starts to burn like acid through his helmet <laughs> and then it gets all the way down to his head and just burns a patch of hair off his head. And then he t he turns the, the second poison apple into a martini, an apple teeny, if you will. Yeah, I love the apple teeny joke. And then, you know, Robert makes the joke about, oh, it's poison. And then Nathaniel freaks out because he thinks he's been. And then it's like, oh, no, but they do sneak up on you. So, you know, be be careful. <laughs> Don't have too many. <laughs> um. Because, you know, it's just Robert thinking, like, this girl has probably never had a drink in her life. Look at this, like, naive little flower, you know? Yeah. Um, and finally, when the queen comes in and, you know, dressed as the old hag, gives her the poison apple. I like how it's, it's of all people, Robert, the person that's the most against the fairy tale tropes, who recognizes the fairy tale tropes. Well, it's finally staring him in the face, and he is, if nothing, the most logical person in the room. When you have the impossible princess girl, the impossible princess guy, she just took a bite of an apple and fell into a deep sleep, and there's a woman dressed like an evil fairy tale queen, and she's saying, Oh, as soon as the clock finishes striking midnight, she's going to die. Eventually, you're like, you know what? This is a lot of fairy tale trope crap for coincidence. Coincidence, yeah. You know? So, what's the fairy tale trope answer here? True love's kiss. <laughs> True love's kiss. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's. So, I applaud him for being the the guy to think it through. And I do like that they made this pole ball a fairy tale themed medieval ball where everyone's dressed as like prince and princesses. So the fact that we have the fairy tale prince, the evil queen, and the minion all dressed like they're from a, out of a fairy tale, so that it makes sense that they're dressed like that. Yeah, but I love that Giselle is the one who is not. 
Because Giselle is finally coming into her own. I love that that dress. There's no poof, there's no frills, there's it's a very simple, elegant, form fitting, you know, the opposite of a princess dress. Yeah. They do the thing where Edward is like, Oh yes, of course, true love's kiss. Let me, you know, do it and it doesn't work. And Edward's the one to realize, like, no, no, it's it's not me. It's you. It's like, can't be. We've only known each other a few days. It can't be. Like, he's trying to, like, like you said, he's trying to be logical about this. It, it can't be true love. True love doesn't exist. True love can't come together in a few days. It's impossible. And, and then... It, it's Nancy. It's Nancy that says, do it. It's okay. Yeah. Because she realizes that Robert has fallen in love with, with Giselle. But also, a girl's life is on the line, and Nancy is not the evil stepmother. Yeah, she does not fall into the evil stepmother trope. Even if this means something different, she'll deal with it later because a woman's life is on the line, and she's not a monster. And I do like that it's also set up earlier. Prince Edward starts going in his romantic tire, uh, his romantic soliloquy to to Giselle, and Nancy is just falling for it. It's like, you know, why can't someone tell me that stuff? Because she loves how committed he is to it. He doesn't overthink it. It's just pure feeling. It's hokey, it's, you know, it's tropey, but she can tell that he's saying it from his heart. This, he actually legitimately believes what the words are coming out of his mouth. And it's almost yeah. like she's never heard a, a man say such words with such conviction. Even the man that she said to marry. The, the cool thing is, though, is that Robert says at the beginning to Morgan, Nancy is a lot like the women in your book. She is the strong woman. She is the business woman. She's tough. She had to make it on her own. She had to, and everything about the way that she dresses and the way that she presents herself, the way she talks is that thing. And, you know, Adina Menzel was perfectly cast for that because she has that history of playing that type of woman. Even when even when she played it as a Disney princess. But we what we find out about Nancy is she kind of just... She wants to be I, swept off her feet. Yeah, I want to be the Disney princess. Come rescue me. You know? Uh, there's a popular audio on TikTok where it's just like that. You know, I'm tired of being the strong female character. I want to be swept off my feet by a Thor and or Valkyrie type. <laughs> I was just listening to that audio last night, actually. Um, I was watching just a whole string of videos that had that audio. Because um, sometimes you do. Sometimes you just want to be romantic. You want to be, uh, you know, swept off your feet, have that romantic thing you know you don't want to think about it you just want to do it for, for you know I, I think it's for for everybody but especially for women it's it's not uh just kind of a, a romance thing when society doesn't really have a safety net for you they just kind of tell you like oh you're so strong 
it's their way of saying, we're not going to give you any help. Do it yourself. And so there is something to that fantasy of, oh, good, somebody's there to catch me. At that point, it's, it's like I said, it's not even necessarily about romance, uh, but sometimes it would be nice to have that done by a romantic partner. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what Nancy kind of represents in this movie. That, yes, Giselle has learned the bit of the Disney princess needing to stand on her own two feet a little bit. But by the same token, it's okay to sometimes want what Nancy gets. The the prince to kind of just sweep you off your feet and take you away to his castle and, you know. Or insert gender of your choice, yeah. you know, as desired. I think that the movie is good showing the balance between the two. Um, because Robert gets that as well. Yeah. Nancy gets to be swept off her feet, but so does Robert in the end. He learns to lighten up a bit because he and he is just it is a trope in, in 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 your you know, this is part romantic comedy. So you have that 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 tough person who needs to learn to loosen up, and you have the very loosened up person who needs to learn to tighten up a bit. And yeah. by the end, real you know, Robert loosens up a bit, especially at the end where he, you know, okay, I guess I am in a fairy tale now, so the fairy tale rules work. Yeah, I'm, you know, and and of course we get that great, you know, when we talk about the deconstruction, we eventually just get some straight up fourth wall breaks with the the climax with Nerissa. Yeah, Nerissa is just straight up telling telling you the the plot points oh it's the climax of the movie oh i guess you're the you're the damsel in distress now boy I'm yeah and, hero gazelle and we get the the callbacks to maleficent we get nerissa living out every woman's dream which is to just be able to transform into a giant dragon and do whatever you want uh mad respect wish i could do that uh, New York has had enough giant monsters climbing buildings. Have 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 we really? No, I don't think we have. I I I'm always down to watch a kaiju mess up New York just a little bit. Um, I will say this is the only part of the movie that doesn't hold up. It just in the visual effects. The the, the dragon, CGI dragon, yeah, yeah, the CGI dragon just does does not really work. That that little bit of the CG, CGI, the yeah. CG on Pip doesn't work all the way either. There are I think the CG doesn't... on Pip holds up way better because it's meant to look a little bit cutesy and stuff. But the CG dragon, it just it looks so glossy and weird, and it looks very liquidy. Yeah, especially because it's outside in the rain. Two and then it just you know what they do you know what a rainstorm and CGI is supposed to cover up yeah and it 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 doesn't cover it in this it just doesn't but I do like that the that the the, the fight the finale of this epic battle is a callback to the beginning of the movie because you know the the troll tries to eat eat Giselle and it's Pip with it being an overweight chipmunk that causes the branch to fall over. 
Likewise here, it's Pip being an overweight chipmunk that causes the tip of the building to fall over where Nerissa just falls off. King Kong style. It's Nerissa's narrating of, you know, well, I guess we'll turn the guy into the the damsel. You know, I'm flexible with that. This is the end of our story. You know, she just straight up starts fourth wall breaking in the narration speaking directly to the audience at this point like this is a deconstruction of fairy tale tropes have you gotten it yet we're breaking down disney movies do you get it do you get it which i'm fine with because i know how often audiences miss this sort sort of thing it's a very quick battle because it's not much of a battle you know, Giselle gets one good hit in with the sword. They climb up a little bit. Pip gets his call back in, you know, to make Nerissa fall. Giselle throws the sword to catch Robert. And then, you know, Robert's sleeve gives way and, you know, he slides down she catches him and then they i they like kiss. that though i like that i like oh that. i love it it's the ultimate callback in this movie is that this relationship starts with him catching her and the climax of you know the big ending of this movie is him her catching him and then we get our little wrap up with edward and nancy where she goes oh look Giselle lost her shoe isn't that just the the way you know we get the little Cinderella moment and then Edward does the you know the bit where he he puts the shoe on her foot and it fits perfectly and he whisks her off to Andalasia to to marry her animated uh, Adina Menzel looks a lot better than Elsa does they try to make her look like Adina Menzel. It's it's not, you know, Elsa they just designed. And then Adina Menzel came in with the voice. It's not meant to look like her. It kind of looks like um, Ursula as a human from Little Mermaid. Yeah. Adina Menzel could do that cosplay. Yeah. Like, put her in that, in that costume as, you know, human form Ursula. Um, I like that they have cell phone reception. Yeah, I love that she's like, good reception, and then immediately smashes her phone. I'm like, girl, keep that phone around. That's a magical cell phone now. Like, she's going to need it. She's the freaking queen now. You might. (laughs) I mean, just block every work-related phone number, but keep it around. You never know when you might want to make an outgoing call. You know, we we get the wrap up of you know where where all the characters end up. I like that Giselle ends up taking over Nancy's business. I don't know how that works legally. I I wonder where they're like, you know, after the dragon incident, uh, Nancy just disappeared, and Robert's new girlfriend just took over her business. Like, did they off this chick? <laughs> like. It seems like there might be some legal questions. I I I wonder how these workers now have to deal with little uh, rats and pigeons making these dresses. I I don't know. It's got to be an OSHA violation somewhere. Yeah, I I don't know. As as long as she like 
gives the the animals their vaccines, I guess. It's fine. I want to talk a little bit more about the musical numbers. Go ahead. Because they are so very interesting to me in the way that they're done. You know, we, we already talked about how the first one is Once Upon a Dream, kind of, with True Love's Kiss. It's your typical Disney I Wish song. Or I want Well, song. the really early ones. Yeah. Not the the later Renaissance ones. But those to me it's it's very much Once Upon a Dream because it's the princess meets prince. You know, like Snow White, I'm wishing yeah. for the one I love. Like you said, Once Upon a yeah. Dream or Cinderella, Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes. You know, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that little bit where they're kind of singing to each other, but they're not there together. And then, you know, when she gets to the real world and she does Happy Working Song, which is maybe my favorite, except for the fact that it contains... CGI roaches. Yeah. Which yeah. I just I I I there's nothing on this planet I hate more than a roach, I think. It's just even CGI or animated, it just oh please no. Um but I like the rest of it. I like the, you know, her bringing in the pigeons and the rats and the, you know, all the rest of it is fine. I um, I, I do like that her Disney princess powers work in the real world. Yeah, that is awesome. And I love that that carries over in Central Park where she calls in the doves and she's like, take these flowers to Nancy. And he's like, they're birds. They don't know who Nancy is or where she lives. or what. And then in the very next scene, Nancy is like sitting there with the doves and she's like, I love the flowers. Where do you even find doves in New York? <laughs> Doves are just chilling in her office. <laughs> it's one of my favorite jokes in the film. The The fact that they went all out with That's How You Know. Yeah. I mean, they could have skimped, but there are so many extras. That is such a complex dance sequence. There are so many moving parts to it. and you really get the sense of this man has just been dropped into a fever dream <laughs> and he has no idea what's going on. It's like, how do they all know the song? I have never heard this song before. <laughs> you know, like... <gasps> I adore it. Um, just the fact that he keeps showing up in different locations and doesn't seem to know how he got there because the camera keeps, you know, it keeps editing into a different location and he's just in a different place in a completely different setting. You know, like she'll be dancing down and he'll be following her and then the camera will cut and he's sitting on a picnic blanket and seems slightly confused as to how and why he's suddenly there. And then suddenly rowing a boat and like, wait, wait, how did I get here? And then, and then the next scene, he's sitting in a horse-drawn carriage. 
<laughs> and he's like, wait, why am I in a horse-drawn carriage? You know? And then walking, I love... Walking down the park with a bunch of brides and grooms. Like, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, but I loved it when it kind of stops the song and he's sitting in the carriage and his cell phone rings and he picks it up and it's Nancy and he's like, Nancy, you will never believe where I am right now. It's because he has no idea where he is right now and how he got there. <laughs> Which is just such a good little moment of both writing and acting and like <laughs> because I I love the idea that this man has just somehow been magically teleported around Central Park <laughs> without his consent. <laughs> he just ended up in a musical and he doesn't know how he got there. <laughs> But it makes it all the better when they're at the ball later and they're singing the So Close. Mm -hmm. And he starts dancing to it. And then just halfway through the song, he suddenly knows the song and is singing it to her. You know? Yeah. Because you can tell at the beginning of the song, it's just a song. It's just a song he's dancing to. And then as it starts to go into that kind of fantasy and there's like glitter coming down from the ceiling and stuff, he starts to know the song. And then when Nancy taps him on the shoulder and says, can I cut in? And it cuts away and there's no glitter and there's people around them on the dance floor, which they weren't there just a second before. And he, once again, just like before when he's in that musical number in Central Park, he doesn't seem to know where he is. Which means he was in the same place he was with Giselle in, in, in Central Park. I love the way that they use the music throughout to show the blending of the, the worlds. Mm-hmm. And it's not a complete musical. It is a musical, but it's mostly not. It just occasionally has musical numbers in it, which I like. So let's ask the question, does Enchanted have the magic, Kiki? I think it's pretty clear that it does. There, there are a couple of tiny things that haven't held up over the years, but for the most part, uh excellent movie still some good uh lessons and uh points about both uh romance and disney in general and i'm really really hoping that it continues through the sequel uh, agree definitely magic uh, it's great deconstruction of disney it's Again, with the exception of the dragon and CGI, everything else seems to hold up pretty well. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to this to the sequel uh, later this year. And uh, yeah, hopefully it's really, really good. So uh, let's move on to next week. We, uh, after deconstructing classic Disney, we're going back to classic Disney. <laughs> Yay! Uh, to uh, the Disney classic Alice in Wonderland. Kiki you care for a spot of tea i am always down for a spot of tea <laughs> yes we're going to go to the mad tea party next week and uh so come back for that and we will talk to you all then 
Bye. Bye. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it.